Previously on Stuck in the Middle Kingdom with you. Just because you're paranoid, Adam, I told myself as I swept the room for bugs. This is my town, said Dodie. It's my town, and if you fuck with me, you're fucking with my town. And I don't lose. I win. You've used up your sick day allowance, and the parents are complaining. If you want me to go in and infect 56 kids, then fine. I'll struggle back to work. I didn't know if I was infectious, but that's not the point. A teacher helped me out recently. A biology teacher. I think if you want to date her, maybe you can. She is lonely. And you are lonely. So, I understand. But don't tell anybody. I'll give you one piece of advice about Dodie. Don't tell him anything. And so, I want your advice. In fact, I'm asking everybody's advice. All the foreign teachers, I want to speak to each of you individually. And you went? Don't be blunt, be ambiguous. Don't talk in meetings, nod. Don't complain to your co-teachers, praise. And wait for me. Knock, knock. Who's there? Jane the boss of the international department. Oh shit, not Jane. How did she know I was in? I put my trousers on and went to the door, repeating a mantra in my head I used to calm myself down. Shit, 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 shit. We did a little small talk and she asked me what I want to do for the next year. It was time to think about renewing the contract. I said I was still unsure. She said she is always available if I want to chat about it. I said that was nice. She added that there's gonna be a show in the auditorium. Actually, this is why she had come to talk to me. She thought I could sing a song. A lightning bolt of peril was streaming through my intestines. Singing Friday I'm in Love in class was one thing, but in front of a hall of colleagues and parents and kids, I preferred to be buried alive. And that's my biggest fear. I told Jane that I'd be able to help plan something, but getting on stage isn't really my thing. She looked disappointed and told me to message her about my decision for next year. And then she left. What was I to do? Bed in for another year at the Cradle of Elites? Shepherd the students through the slings and arrows of Grade 2? I decided to scope out my allies, Jess and Penny, and maybe use their decisions to inform mine. For Jess, this meant going to the pub. Back in Brew Kettle, we glugged cheap lager, thought about options. For her, the city lights beckoned. Shanghai had so much more going on, she said. Friends, cinemas, music venues. I looked around. Could there be more to a night on the town than a few beers in brew kettle, followed by a winding tour back to school in the company of an exasperated taxi driver? If I really tried, I could imagine such a life. As for Penny, she'd also decided to move on, adamantly saying that she wasn't going to put up with their silly games anymore. Within a few days, however, she'd switched. Her meeting with Jane was constructive, and she'd been persuaded to stay. Although I didn't seek it out, I was also presented with the American teacher Mark's plans. Jess and I caught him down at Cloudy Coffee, enjoying a pot of green tea. With all the water under the bridge, it was like old times. Yeah, we're gonna move on, he said. There's only so many things you can put up with, and this school is not one of them. Almost a year in, and these kids are just not advancing. It's a stitch-up. They don't care about education. They got their contacts. 
Their grades will be fine, and they'll go and get a college education in the States anyway. And I don't know about you, but I ain't putting up with Doty. He's trouble. Go on. Come on, can't you see it? The man is on a power trip. It's a Muslim thing. You don't want to hear it, but I'm telling you. Ah, yes. It was just like old times. So I worked up the courage to meet Jane and have the talk about next year. In the stay column was the kids, who I really liked, the calm life which, at its best, was very nice, and the new teachers, Mia and the Amys, who could well become good friends, and Penny, of course. And in the leave column was Jane, and the uneasy mood around the management in general, including Shin, who I'd fallen out with during my brush with death, and Dodie, who was perhaps on a power trip, at least according to Mark and Mia, who'd recently told me that... He's got a bit of a reputation in town, playing people against each other. And Jess, of course. Ugh, why can't I just split up into numerous different Adams, do all of the options, and then kill off the Adams that made the wrong decisions? Why are choices so damn final? So, in a state of some confusion, I had the meeting with Jane, the upshot of which was that I walked away having agreed to come back in September, with a raised salary, double holiday pay, with my own e-bike, with flexible office hours, and with a cast iron guarantee, cast iron, that Dodie won't be my boss. Maybe we should write these details in the contract, I mused as we sat in Jane's office. But Jane assured me that that's not necessary. She will stay and make sure that it all goes as agreed. I'm a special teacher, she said, and they want me to be happy here. I should have got those things written in the contract, I thought, when I got back to my class. Also back in class, I found a bundle of strange snacks wrapped in leaves, another obscure gift left mysteriously at my desk by the ghostly figure that was Abe, the international department fixer. My co-teacher Yun was good enough to explain the importance of the, let's be frank, unappealing food. Now I have a theory about foods which are connected to traditional holidays. For the most part, they are eaten only at particular times in the calendar because they are not very nice. I give you Exhibition 1. Christmas pudding. Not very nice, is it? Mince pies aren't much better. Wedding cakes are thankfully limited to weddings. And pancakes? Well, pancakes are nice. I don't know why we don't have more of them. The theory neatly extends to China. Mid-autumn festival has its moon cakes. Qingming has its green glutinous rice cakes. And the dragon boat festival has its zongzi, these leaf-bound snacks which I'd been presented with. It's Glutinous rice stuffed with various different fillings, sometimes sweet and sometimes savoury, and they're all best enjoyed once a year. I know some will disagree with this analysis, but I think it stacks up pretty strongly. I do quite like each of these traditional snacks, I might add, but saving them for the holiday is fine by me. So why are these glutinous rice snacks imprisoned in a tight wrapping of leaves? That's the interesting part, and it requires looking back into the annals of history. There are a few versions of who is being commemorated in the Dragon Boat Festival. For some in Suzhou, it's the ancient minister, Wu Zishu, who popped up in this story before, in episode 41, which was called Better to hear two Suzhou people argue than listen to one regular person talking. But the most widespread version of the tale involves Chu Yuan, a patriotic poet who came 200 years after Wu Zishu, during the latter part of the Warring States period. Chu Yuan came up with much of the work in the Chuzi, the Songs of Chu, dated back in the 3rd century BC. 
It's one of Chinese poetry's most prized anthologies, and Chu Yuan is noted as the first poet in Chinese history who has his name attributed to the work. Chu Yuan was an official for the King of Chu. Now, Chu and Chu are different words here, although they sound the same because of my inadequate pronunciation. Chu Yuan, Chu, is spelled Qu in Pinyin, and the Chu Kingdom is spelled Chu. So the Chu Kingdom was the most southeastern of the seven warring states, covering the entire lower half of the Yangtze River, and up north, almost to Qingdao. This was a time just before China's first unified empire, so it was an exciting time to be alive, especially if you were part of the kingdom that was to come out on top, which was not the situation that the Chu was in. In his poem Li Sao, or Encountering Sorrow, the poet Chu Yuan talks about the honourable leaders and tyrant leaders of the past, and laments that the king of Chu has failed to meet the standards of the greats, taking bad advice from bad advisers. Dismissed from his job for his blunt honesty, the poet is sent into exile, where he takes to the road and talks to wizards and birds and encounters other mystical beings. Some of this is autobiographical and some is metaphorical, but in the world of Chinese poetry, it's all incredibly influential. Anyway, in the end, enough is enough, and he is resolved to his fate. Not long after writing the poem, around the time of the fall of the Chu capital, Chu Yuan waded into the river and drowned. Bereft, the locals coaxed the fish away by throwing in food wrapped in leaves, in the hope that they wouldn't nibble away at the venerated poet's carcass. They also rowed up and down the river in boats, hitting the water with oars to fend off the evil spirits, hence the boat race. The tradition stuck, and it became a national holiday in 2008. The government in Beijing is particularly keen to emphasise the patriotic, sacrificial spirit of Chu Yuan and his upright moral character. But if the school had arranged any boat racing events, then the foreign teachers were not privy to them. Perhaps it was a sign of the overall breakdown in relations between the teachers and the management. A wave of uneasiness broke in my stomach, and I wondered if the relationship could be repaired during the next year. The prospects seemed to be further dampened by the news that Arizona man had a shipment coming in from the States, which contained a sword, a gun, and some ammunition. I shit you not. Dodie told me that he mediated a tricky conversation between the man and the management, and only just saved him from getting fired. But apparently the firearm threat had been smoothed over. Arizona man wanted to stay at the school another year, and that was just too much to resist for a school with its perpetual turnover of teachers. They were happy to be convinced that the man's shipment was just old family mementos, and, well I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but the old fella in the round wasn't particularly likely to kill anyone with those weapons. Even the management were probably safe. So that little incident was quickly buried, the contraband was sent back to America, and we were invited to our final meeting of the year. Just as we had in our first week here, we lined up along the presidential table, facing down the management, as if a treaty were being signed. The faces had changed a little. Eddie was gone and Dodie, Mia and the Amys were here. And the pent-up tension which characterised the first meeting had become resignation. The teachers were just going through the motions now. I got the sense that the management 
tolerated the foreign teachers in a way a young woman tolerates an embarrassing sugar daddy. It was up to Abe to turn that tolerance into a syrupy declaration of love for us all. Throughout our year together here at the school, there are two words that keep coming back to me, said Abe. Words that come in my mouth every time I walk through these halls. Word one is success. An indefatigable effort by everyone is an effort that results in success. And I can see success in the actions of all our foreign teachers across this year. I saw Jess sing to the students, giving the sunshine to their day. I saw Don bring strength and joy to his classroom. I saw Mark being stern and fair to students, putting discipline in the centre of their learning. I saw Adam caring for all his students, no matter what they do, how naughty they are. I saw Phil supporting the teachers with his wisdom and the guiding light of his experience. Okay, that's a taster of the sludge that Abe was coming out with. Oh, but there's more. How else can I show my gratitude except to say, thank you? Pay rise, said Arizona man. There was a ripple of laughter. He's not joking, said Mark, who wasn't laughing. And word two, continued Abe, whose script was like a lifeboat for him. Word two is cooperation. You cooperate with the Chinese teachers. You cooperate with each other. And you cooperate with us. There was an awkward silence as an elephant careered through the room. Before, and in the spirit of cooperation, we have made the decision to create a position for one foreign teacher to become part of the management to give orientation to new teachers. And so with pleasure I congratulate Dodi on his new role. And I'm sure he will make it to come back to our first word. A success. I looked across the table at Jane. She had told me with absolute assuredness that there would be no Dodi boss. She kept her smile firmly poised and refused to look anywhere except at various parts of the table. Those scheming, shifty, two-faced. And finally, I have to announce that sadly Jane will be leaving us to work in our sister school in Suzhou. Jane, you've been a wonderful colleague and manager to the foreign teachers. We will all miss you, and we wish you good luck for your job in Suzhou. My gaping mouth extended even further downwards. She's doing a runner. After telling me that she'd stay and all that, I felt violated. I looked over at Dodie, whose soft grin was reaching new levels of smug. Abe invited him to say a few words, and get this, he actually stood up and almost went to sit with the management, but perhaps checking himself, ended up standing at the end of the table, where the president would be, lauding everyone and talking about the spirit of comradeship that he was going to help installing the troops. Now I look back at this and I wonder to myself, what was so bad about this situation? I mean, really. I had no abiding connection to Jane. I wasn't going to miss her. Why was I so betrayed that she was leaving? And okay, so Dodie had been playing the system, leveraging people and things to get himself a place at the big boy's table. He'd pulled me aside to get that advice, and I had no doubt in the end that he was just trying to suss everyone out to position himself better. But was that so bad? Abe said his new role was to give orientation to new teachers. I wasn't a new teacher. It was hardly going to affect my work, right? Clearly the paranoia had sent me into a tailspin and I was being, shall we say, irrational. I wasn't the only one. Penny had it just as bad, so this wasn't just an Adam thing. I was, though, personally aggrieved. 
I took some of the conniving way too personally, and I saw this as one injustice to many. In China, though, one should refrain from allowing this to happen to oneself. As the Chinese say, Better to go with the flow. Ain't nothing you can do about it. In a peace achieved, it was time to decamp with a bottle of Qingdao Pijiao at the ever-welcoming brew kettle. I told Jess about the drama, and, well, in the scheme of things, it all seemed pretty funny. But it all worked out in the end. Maybe that's how things go, you know? They work out okay in the end. Maybe things are okay here, after all, you know? Or, or maybe you have better reasons to stay here than some of us, said Jess, who was going to move to Shanghai at the end of the summer. What kind of reasons? I said. I don't know, you know. No, I don't know. Jess was being unusually ambiguous. The biology teacher. The biology teacher. The biology teacher. The biology teacher. What about the biology teacher? Yeah, the school has a biology teacher. Actually, it has two. One of them has a very nice little man. But the other one gave me a, a coat, and I said thanks, so what? It's not what I heard, said Jess. What had she heard? Well, Adam from International Class 1 Grade 1 had struck up a rather friendly friendship with a certain biology teacher who just happens to be married to a spouse and has a kid. And they've been spotted, these indiscreet teachers, in the hallways, in the gym, in the teacher's dorm, together. I stared at Jess in disbelief. None of this was true. Well, the fact that she was a married biology teacher with a kid was true. But the central allegation, that wasn't true. Everyone knows, she said. The next day, Dodie swaggered up to me during the morning break, imbued with a new air of self-satisfaction over and above the maximum capacity for self-satisfaction he already had. Congratulations on another year in the jungle, he said, grabbing my hand for a firm shake. I muttered an agreement of sorts, and he told me about what a great team we were going to be. I said I hope so. But Dodie knew it would be so. He was happy that I had decided to renew the contract as he knew I was hesitant. He asked me what made me decide to stay in the end, and when I didn't spell it out for him, he proceeded to guess. A pay rise? Some more holiday pay? Maybe an e-bike? He was curiously accurate. Dodie seemed to know my contract better than I did. They confided in me, Adam, he said. This is good for us. They trust me, and I know their game. And already, I'm getting results for you. And next year, there'll be many more results. I will be overseeing the foreign department. You'll be overseeing it? Don't worry, I won't make you call me boss. 